0: Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Mills and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be yet another solved case from a Curious Case series. And today's case is actually out of Indiana in the United States. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. It's. Make sure you're following me over on Twitter and Instagram so you can see what's going on behind the scenes so you can get any updates on schedule changes and stuff like that. My handle on both platforms is at itsjoshuamiles and with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. Tuesday, the 25th of January 2005, a day that would start out just as normally as every other day that came before it for the residents of Crothersville, Indiana. But as the sun began to set, the lives of the almost 1,600 townsfolk would become a living nightmare. Caitlin Maria Coleman was born on the 13th of August 1994 in Seymour, Jackson County, Indiana, which was about 30 minutes away from Crothersville. Caitlin, known as Katie to her friends and family, was born to her parents, Jonathan and Angela, and she had one older sister. The family resided in Crothersville, and I believe the nearest good hospital was the hospital in uh, Seymour, which is why uh, Angela had her children there. Every member of the family was active in their local church, the First Baptist Church of Crothersville With Katie being involved in their AWANA program The AWANA program stands for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed And is a program aimed at children between age 12 and 18 Katie was a part of the program as soon as she was eligible to join And it saw her attending weekly clubs at the church And it taught her about Jesus and it aided in helping her to develop her social skills, relationship skills and to develop her spiritually Aside from the church, as with most kids, Katie loved to play outside and she loved watching the Disney Channel She was described by all those who had the pleasure of knowing her as being really happy all the time and always having a really big smile on her face by the time of that fateful Tuesday in 2005, Katie was in the fourth grade at the Crothersville Elementary School, where she was considered to be one of the more popular kids in her year. She was a lovable and kind little girl who could easily make friends with anyone and everyone. After finishing school that day at about 245 pm, a family friend who we'll call Mrs. Hodge picked her up along with her own kids from the school and brought her home. In the car, She happily discussed with mrs. Hodge and the other kids in the car the pajama party that they were planning to have the next day When Katie got home, she found her mother Angela in the kitchen preparing the dinner for that evening You see John, Katie's father worked evening shifts at a local factory So it usually came down to Angela to prepare dinner for the children John had just started his evening shift when Katie came home from school. Angela hadn't had that Much time that day to do all of the things that she needed to do at home and also nip out to the store to get essential items that they were running out of. So at about three o'clock, Angela asked Katie to nip out to the local Dollar General and grab some toilet roll as they needed some. This wasn't an unusual request for Katie. She had gone to the Dollar General on numerous different occasions and was very confident in the route that she would have to take. The Dollar the itself was only a block and a half from the family home, only a five minute or so walk. To get there, Katie would have had to go past a block of flats where one of her friends lived before crossing the train tracks to get to the Dollar General. And after she had bundled up in warm clothes and started out on her short trip to the Dollar General on that cold January day, with $1.10 in her coat pocket safely tucked away so that she could buy the toilet roll, she She stopped by the apartments of the friends that lived along the route. After popping by, she said hi, stayed there for a little while before leaving, crossing the train tracks and going to the Dollar General, where she purchased the toilet roll. Now, interestingly, at this Dollar General, the uh, sales assistant noted that She didn't have the correct change with her So the sales assistant just made up the difference from her own money so that she could buy the toilet roll And sent her off on her merry way Katie also went over to the bank which was nearby to get a lollipop or a sucker I think they call it there Um, And she got that as she did usually before going back across the train tracks On the way back from the store Katie had come across the remains of a dog that had been killed by a passing train on the train track So she decided to go to the apartment block by the tracks, the same apartment block where her school friend lived And tell them that she had found the dead dog. After doing so, she left the apartments and began to make the journey home The the just one minute or so journey back from the block of apartments to her home But Katie would never arrive At home initially angela wasn't all too concerned with the fact that katie hadn't come home immediately As she knew that katie oftentimes went round to her friends and stopped by to say hi to chat to them um, Who lived along the route so she wasn't she wasn't too worried about the fact that she was late in coming home though As the minutes and hours began to tick by Angela began to grow more and more worried. Angela left the family home and went to go find Katie and bring her home as her dinner was almost ready. However, when she spoke to some of the neighborhood kids, they said that they hadn't seen her. Shortly after, at about 4.30 PM, an hour and a half after Katie had left for the Dollar General, Angela phones their family friend mrs. Hodge thinking that she might have taken katie and some of the kids to the local Walmart As she had done so before though mrs. Hodge didn't pick up the phone Angela actually took this as a sign that mrs. Hodge had taken katie and some of the kids to the local Walmart um, Because she didn't pick up the phone so she must have been you know away from the house And so she decided to wait for a little bit for them to come home again as she waited and Angela's concern began to grow more and more So she set off on foot, she didn't have a driver's license To go and find Katie and bring her home It wasn't long before friends and neighbours began to join in the search for Katie It wouldn't be until 7.30pm, four and a half hours after Katie had left the Dollar General That Angela would get a hold of Mrs. Hodge After a brief phone call with Mrs. Hodge Angelo's concern quickly transformed into frantic panic. Mrs. Hodge hadn't been with Katie or seen her after she dropped her off after school She immediately called her husband John who was still at work who in turn phoned for the police at 8.20 p.m By the time the police arrived to help look for Katie there were already over a hundred people searching People were using their all-terrain vehicles to search the local and nearby fields Others were searching by going up and down all the streets in the town in their cars calling her name while others were searching on foot Police officers across Indiana came to aid in the search Alongside firefighters and search and rescue teams They searched the entire night and into the following morning But to no avail. The FBI then joined the search in the afternoon of Wednesday the 26th of January 2005. They meticulously searched through the evidence to ensure that nothing critical had been missed, though by this point no Amber Alert as of yet had been issued. And this was due to the fact that there had been no direct evidence discovered to indicate that Katie had been abducted. The A Child is Missing Alert program was notified about Katie's disappearance, who in turn used their automated systems to phone about 1,400 homes in the area to ask for help or any potential information. The A Child is Missing Alert program was formed in 1997 and is a charity organization that assists law enforcement throughout the United States of America in the early stages of the Search for missing children. Their system is able to place a thousand calls to people in the immediate surrounding area of the missing child in just 60 seconds. It's an outstanding charity which I really do encourage you go and read up on. Um, They rely solely on private donations as they don't have government funding anymore, so be sure to go give them your support if you are able. It wasn't until two days after Katie's disappearance that an Amber Alert was eventually issued tip had come in to the police hotline from a witness that has seen a white man in a white Ford F-150 pickup truck between 4.20pm and 4.30pm, the afternoon of Katie's disappearance. And in the passenger seat, this witness claimed to have seen a young girl who matched the description of Katie. The truck had been seen by this witness near the Crothersville Community School and they described the white man as being around six foot tall, very skinny, and with short brown hair It's important to note that this witness also claims that the girl in the truck that looks like Katie appeared to be there as a passenger and didn't indicate any signs of a struggle or any signs that they were being abducted They seemed to be there of their free will Perhaps she had been offered a lift back to her home But why would she get a lift back home if She literally lived just around the corner, unless she had left those apartment blocks and had set off going elsewhere This was the direct evidence that the police needed to issue the Amber Alert Upon learning this information, Katie's parents issued a statement Through a spokesperson, in which they asked the person who took Katie to not harm her and to Drop her off at a truck stop or some other public area The Red Cross had also joined in the search efforts by this point And had been preparing and providing meals for the volunteers while they searched Helicopters with thermal imaging cameras were also deployed to try and determine whether Perhaps she had gone into the local surrounding forests or fields, gotten injured Or maybe gotten lost, but they were unable to find anything A police sketch of the suspect was published by the police department In the hopes that it would jog someone's memory Or that it was someone that somebody in the community knew As you can see, the man has a thin and somewhat long face Police sketches always give me the goosebumps for some reason There's always something really creepy about them And this one is definitely one of the more creepy sketches Along with this sketch, the police released more details about the unidentified man. They described him as being between 18 and 20 years old, and to have been smoking a cigarette when he was seen with Katie Interestingly, they also noted that the late 1980s early 1990s white truck was also in immaculate condition Which indicated that whoever owned it treasured the vehicle The volunteers and members of the public uh, aiding in the search efforts were asked by the police to have a lookout for Dollar General bags as Katie would have had a Dollar General bag on her when she went missing And it could be a crucial piece of evidence in locating her Search efforts intensified over the weekend But it appeared as if Katie and this mysterious man had just vanished into thin air Was the man a resident of the town or was he just a traveler passing through? Was Katie even still in Indiana at this point? At 4pm on Sunday the 30th of January 2005, the police held a press conference at the local fire station During this press conference, it was revealed that an Indiana state trooper had discovered a body, a few miles north of Seymour, the town where Katie was born. They also revealed that the body had been positively identified to be that of the missing 10 year old girl Katie Coleman. The state trooper had been out on a routine patrol looking for the unknown man and his white truck And had decided to check some areas that weren't typically accessed by the general public It was then when the state trooper discovered Katie's remains in a spillway creek leading from cypress lake The police declined to reveal any more details at that time Though they did say that the missing persons investigation was now A homicide investigation The town of Crothersville began to mourn the loss of Katie A $10,000 reward was also posted asking for information Leading to the capture and conviction of the people that were responsible an autopsy was conducted the following day on the monday at the university of louisville hospital katie had been found with both her hands and her feet bound the autopsy reports reveals that she had been sexually assaulted and that she had Died due to drowning Interestingly, during the investigation prior to Katie's remains being discovered The police had actually received a tip-off about a local man named Charles Hickman Otherwise known as Chucky Chucky actually lived in a trailer across the streets from the dollar general and multiple witnesses had actually contacted the police and reported seeing Chucky at the store around the time of Casey's disappearance They did pay a visit to him and question him about his whereabouts But he claimed to have not been in the area at the time of the disappearance, which was suspicious to the investigators However, they couldn't arrest him without probable cause So they Left him alone and let him go on his merry way On the 2nd of February 2005, two days after Katie's remains were discovered The police received a phone call from Chucky In this phone call, Chucky, who was 20 years old at the time Confessed that he, along with another man, had taken Katie after she had witnessed an illegal drug deal on her walk home Scared that Katie had seen too much, the two men decided that they would take Katie and try to scare her so that she would stay silent and quiet about it He identified the other man to be 22 year old Timothy O'Sullivan And he told the investigators that he had taken Katie to Timothy's house before they both took her to the creek in his car They tied her hands and feet in an attempt to scare her quiet but she apparently fell Into the creek and drowned That same day, the police arrested Chucky with murder and criminal confinement charges And he was brought to the police station where he made a formal confession Chucky claims that the white Ford F-150 pickup truck was owned by his friend Timothy O'Sullivan who had aided him in the murder He also implicated another man, a 17-year-old boy Timothy and the 17-year-old man were arrested also later that same day During the investigation into Chucky, the background checks and whatnot The police discovered that he had had sex with a 13-year-old girl in exchange for methamphetamines Chucky was held without bond on the murder charge and a separate charge for child molestation was filed which had a $60,000 bond Both Timothy O'Sullivan and the 17-year-old boy were charged with giving the police false information which carried a $350 bond and Timothy was actually released on that $350 bond I couldn't distinguish whether or not the police impounded Timothy's white pickup truck or whether it was sent for any further forensic analysis or not I couldn't find anything concrete but I'd like to think they did so but whether they did or not is up in the air another interesting point which i read in multiple different sources is that it's unclear whether or not tire track um prints were taken from the crime scene and whether tire track prints were taken from timothy's white pickup truck and then compared as this would have been a really really concrete way of placing that truck at the crime scene. What we do know is that DNA samples were taken from all three men to be sent off and compared against DNA taken from Katie's body and also DNA found on a cigarette butt at the crime scene and this happened at the end of March in 2005. This case seems to be pretty straightforward. They had a man who had confessed, who had links to the same white truck that had been seen with Katie in it He had a motive, he presented the motive, and he had a previous conviction of sexually assaulting a young girl He was also seen by multiple witnesses at the Dollar General on the afternoon of Casey's disappearance, and he lived close by The results of the DNA tests came back a week later on Wednesday the 6th of April 2005 And these results turned the entire investigation on its head The DNA was compared against the state's DNA database and it hit a match Chucky's DNA didn't match any of the DNA swabs or samples taken from the crime scene Neither did Timothy O'Sullivan's nor did the 17 year old boy The match was for a different local man 38-year-old Anthony Stockelman. He was immediately arrested by the authorities on sexual molestation charges Anthony Stockelman had no previous criminal history besides one or two misdemeanors But he hadn't been unknown to the investigators during their investigation The same evening that the Amber Alert was issued Detectives had paid a visit to Anthony's home to question him about his whereabouts on the day Katie went missing You see they had Run a DMV search for white Ford F 150 trucks in the area, and Anthony's name had lit up as he owned one. When questioned by the police, Anthony told them that he had been in the area on the afternoon that. She went missing. It's important to note that there were no eyewitnesses, so it's just his own uh, Confession that he had been there. The police then asked Anthony for permission to search his white pickup truck without a warrant And he agreed to that. He had even gone to the local police station that evening and voluntarily uh, submitted a polygraph test, which he passed. After that, the police didn't have any more questions for him and they let him go free. That was until the start of April 2005, before the DNA test results came back The police showed up at Anthony's door and asked him to provide a DNA sample which he willingly provided to the police Interestingly, the police had been unable to determine or identify any kind of link or connection or relationship between Anthony and Chucky, or Anthony and Timothy O'Sullivan, or Anthony and the 17-year-old boy, there was no connection On one hand, the police had a man who had confessed the murders, fit the criminal profile, and had given a motive and explanation as to what happened that day and had been found to have previously sexually molested a young girl before But they had no DNA evidence to tie him to the crime scene. On the other hand, they had a man who had willingly cooperated with the authorities during their investigation. No previous criminal convictions, a father of three, and no links to Chucky or any of the other men. But they had DNA evidence that placed him at the crime scene. And he owned a vehicle identical to the one described by an eyewitness The investigators began to believe that Chucky had given a false confession His own mother had told the investigators that she believed that Chucky had given this confession A false confession out of fear Chucky had claimed to have seen the man who was responsible for the murder, see it happen and it claimed to have been there But he claims that he didn't kill Katie himself It's important to note, as you've probably noticed, that Chucky's story changes from the first time he tells it to now Because in the first time he says that she fell into the creek and drowned But now he's saying that somebody else purposefully drowned her. His mother told the police that Chucky was afraid of a man who had blown up his house in fire the year prior in December of 2004. As a result of this new DNA evidence, Chucky's confession was discharged and he was released from jail. Though, as he was being released, he constantly told the investigators that he had seen what had happened and that they were arresting the wrong man. It's unclear who exactly Chucky claims to have been Katie's murderer or exactly who this man he was afraid of was Theories speculates that this man that Chucky was afraid of had planted DNA evidence at the crime scene and that Anthony had been set up Though it's important to note that I couldn't find much credibility in these theories I do agree that it is a bit strange and out of the ordinary for Anthony to have given up this information So freely and given the police's DNA if he was guilty but murderers have done much stranger things Oftentimes, wanting fame, notoriety or believing that they could outsmart the authorities Fibers found on Katie's body were also determined to have possibly originated from a carpet in Anthony's mother's house The forensics team were unable to eliminate the fibers from originating from this carpet The DNA evidence in this case is very condemning But why would anybody set Anthony up? A question I unfortunately am unable to provide an answer for. Police were interestingly unable to find any connections between Anthony and the local methamphetamine trade, though it could be argued that Anthony could simply have been very good at covering his tracks or had operated through other people. DNA samples were taken from just shy of 70 people connected to the case and none of them match the DNA taken from the crime scene, it was just Anthony's DNA. Anthony's trial began on the 21st of February 2016 It's important to note that Anthony actually pled guilty to the charges brought against him as part of a plea deal which ensures that he wouldn't receive the death penalty as his sentencing. This plea deal also waived Anthony's right to a jury trial and his right to appeal the verdict On the 17th of April 2006, a hearing took place to determine Anthony's sentencing He was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for the murder of Katie Coleman and he was also sentenced to an additional 30 years for sexually assaulting her As I mentioned earlier, there is a lot of speculation as to whether Anthony is the true perpetrator in this case As far as I'm aware, there was no motive established for the murder In 2008, Anthony, through a spokesperson, created a blog titled Freedom for Tony where he discusses his side of the case in detail While Anthony was in prison serving his sentence Katie's cousin had been sentenced on burglary charges and had been sent to the same wing that Anthony was in Katie's cousin hid in Anthony's cell waiting for him to come in and when he did he shut the door behind him Pinned Anthony to the ground and tattooed the words Katie's revenge on its forehead But what do you think of this case? I personally believe that Anthony must have some form of connection with Chucky that the investigators failed to find. I don't believe that he acted alone and I do believe that he has connections with Chucky or at least with the local drug dealing scene. An interesting write-up on the website peopleagainstprisonabuse.com poses a lot of questions um, kind of attacking uh, the investigation in this case. I have chosen not to include it in this video just because I don't like to dwell on theories, um, especially when they don't have evidence or credibility behind them. But I have left a link to that website and Anthony's uh, blog, the Freedom for Tony blog, in my sources down in the description below if you're interested in reading about the uh, theory that Anthony is innocent. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. I personally think it's really interesting that Chucky was found to have sexually assaulted a minor, a young girl, and was still let free from jail without facing prosecution on those charges. Something doesn't make sense there It's suggested by a few people that the police were under enormous pressure by the public to solve the case and to prosecute someone Which is why the investigation seems to be a bit of a shambles When you compare the police sketch to Anthony and then to Chucky It looks a lot more like Chucky than it does Anthony But again it could be said that the police sketch might not be entirely accurate They very rarely are that accurate and it is really difficult to ignore the DNA evidence found at the crime scene. Also Anthony was 38 and the eyewitness placed him at 20 years old-ish so he doesn't quite fit the criminal profile that this eyewitness had developed which is another interesting point but again the eyewitness you know memory, memory isn't the most reliable thing in the world so Let me know what you think in the comments down below. I know this video is a bit shorter than the usual videos that I upload on this channel, but it was quite difficult to piece together this video without implementing any, um, Biased information or talking about some of the more disrespectful theories I try to present the facts in this case as unbiased as possible Except for at the end where I was expressing my opinion So that you could draw your own conclusions and let me know down below If Anthony is innocent, then it poses one major question Who is responsible? Perhaps the police were quick to jump the gun And if they went back to square one, there would be a public outcry As I said, I believe that every character that we've discussed in this case is in some way connected to the murder And I can only hope that the truth comes out one day Thank you so much for watching this episode in my Curious Case series Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified Every single time that I post a brand new true crime video I post new videos every Wednesday and Sunday at 9pm UK time, both true crime videos, so be sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on those. If there are any updates to scheduling changes due to a multitude of reasons such as needing more research, editing, that kind of thing, then I usually announce that over on my Twitter and Instagram as well as the YouTube community tab, so make sure you're following me over on Twitter and Instagram so you don't miss out on that. I'm really really interested in knowing your thoughts on this case, I just have to quickly say that I'm not defending um, Anyone in this case. I'm that's not it's not what I'm doing in this video. I'm not defending anyone. I'm not uh, Saying anyone is guilty. I'm just giving my uh, informed opinion on what I believe and that is I believe that every character That was discussed in this video is in some way Responsible for the murder in some way connected and with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case